Carly, thank you so much for joining the Green Elements podcast. Um, you work for Bateswells and yeah. you're a law firm. Um, could you tell us a bit about you and who Bateswells are, please? Yeah, of course. Um, thanks for inviting me to be part of the podcast. Um, so Bateswells, we established in 1970 um, and we are a full service law firm. I'm a partner in the real estate team at Bateswells. Um, and we're a bit unusual, really. Uh, we call ourselves a city firm with a difference, um, and we refer a lot to having a positive impact, which isn't something that most law firms probably outwardly say. Um, but when we were established in 1970, there were a clear set of core principles that the firm was founded on, and it would, could be basically sort of summarised as doing good work for good people. Um, inevitably, since 1970, we've evolved a lot, and um, we embedded um, a much more kind of outward looking set of values um, and we live by our purpose and values and when we're in the office together we've got a lot of um, branding around our values around around the firm so that we can see them all and we remember them all um, and as part of that journey we became a b corp in 2015 so that now embeds our values into what we do um, and we really have a we have a lot of synergy with our clients and we have a lot of impact driven businesses so that's kind of us in a nutshell but we are a full service law firm with a twist and do you think the fact that um you're a b corp has made any difference to um you know to you as a company as the people that work within it and also who, how you work with clients yeah i think it has um I mean, the timing worked brilliantly for me because I joined the firm in 2014. So I could, as a, as a new person at the time when we became a B Corp, I think I could really see that transition that the firm I joined was very um, enthusiastic, very purpose-driven, um, very values-driven. But by becoming a B Corp, it just brought it all to the forefront of everybody's mind. So everybody in the entire firm, you know, we've got 250 plus people in our firm, everybody started talking more regularly and more confidently about our values. So I think that made a real difference. And I think the accountability of being a B Corp also makes a real difference that you become a lot more conscious of always living by those values that you've promised to uphold. Um, and then I think there is a huge amount of synergy, as I've said, with our clients. So we act for more charities than any other law firm. But that, again, has evolved into social enterprises and then because of the B Corp movement we have a huge impact driven base now and I think it makes a lot more difference a lot of difference I should say that we um because we're a B Corp and we do we are a values driven firm we're able to have those conversations with our clients and really understand what they're about and there's a lot more synergy with our culture so I think although our day job is providing legal advice it makes a, a huge amount of difference to be able to really understand what our clients do in their own businesses and what they're seeking to achieve. Do you think the um, advice you give clients changes uh, um, is different if you're a purpose-driven business or not? Um, that's a really interesting question because I think, I mean, ultimately the law is the law. Hmm. And we're advising on the law, but I think we do tailor our advice differently to all of our clients because there are other issues that affect them um, in the same way that when we're giving advice to um, corporate bodies, that will be different to our charity clients because the legislation is different. 
But I think for impact businesses, our, our advice probably does differ because we're focused on what their aims are and how to help them get there. Um, I suppose a recent example would be um, real estate law. We always have a bit of a joke in the department that the law doesn't really ever change for us because we're still working on 1925 acts and 1954 acts. Um, and actually we don't think that the law has caught up sufficiently with impact driven businesses and actually the way the world is now and what people need. So we've had a look at our impact driven clients and real estate and we've looked at putting together model form leases and precedent clauses and things that are actually focused on those types of businesses. So particularly majoring on the landlord and tenant relationship and how buildings should become more sustainable and how you can embed things into your lease to make that happen. That's interesting. So, Because we've had a few clients that have um, only been allowed to move in to their new buildings because they are sustainable. But what we have found interesting is it's all talk. So therefore, they've got all this stuff in their le in their lease, and they like, and they re they because they are genuinely being sustainable. They get really excited about moving into this new building, and we can't get hold of the electricity data. They're not actually monitoring the gas usage. They don't really think about the air conditioning when it turns on and off. And that cycle to work, the cycle storage and the cycle to work policy that they expected everyone to have when they moved into that building actually doesn't make any difference at all. And so, and I guess I don't really know what I'm saying, but is there a way that you can, um, it's really disheartening to a company if they move into a building that they think is going to be really environmental and it turns out the landlord is just kind of vetting people and going actually we can we can command a higher price if we ask for a more sustainable company whereas we don't actually care about sustainability anyway greenwashing i guess it is a form of greenwashing <laughs> isn't it but it's a, so. it's the reverse greenwashing yeah i think um that's really challenging and i can see how frustrating that is um i think just on a not a legal point but a general point that We've been um, hosting seminars and things on this area for years now. And I remember when we first started them, when we had tenant clients or tenant contacts in the room, they would be saying, well, this is expensive to be in a sustainable building. This is going to cost us more potentially. And we would be saying, well, yeah, the market knowledge is saying that landlords may charge a premium for their tenants moving into business to buildings like that, which is exactly what you just said. Um, and also if landlords are having to manage their services in such a way that they're really making an effort with green energy and, you know, better lighting, LCD lighting or better air quality, that kind of thing, recycling schemes, then inevitably their service charge might be higher. So it was a, always a discussion with tenants of, well, this is a kind of longer term trade off that you're looking for, that if you really want to live by these principles and you're going to be in the building for a long time, that actually the higher costs will hopefully be worth it because actually energy costs will eventually go down over the lifetime of your lease. And then landlords would say to us, what's in it for us? Why would we do this? If it's all going to be more costly to start with, why would we do it? So again, the flip argument is, well, you might be able to attract a higher premium mm. and actually don't you want a better relationship with your tenants? And I think in our early conversations, there was always a little bit of a feeling in the room of this is quite interesting. We'd quite like to do it, but it's just too expensive. 
thankfully what we're seeing is actually the conversation is evolving and landlords are much well we've seen landlords being much more collaborative with tenants and building a much longer term relationship so it's not a really quick flow of people it's actually how can we make the whole building work together almost as a community mm. um, but you will still find inevitably some landlords are saying they've done certain things when actually you get in there and it isn't quite as you expect mm. if there's something in your lease that tells you it should be there then you have a legal argument to to resolve it to try and resolve it with your landlord but again it's not necessarily that people will want to get into a dispute territory mm. um, but it's always worth trying to have that conversation with their landlords or the building management I think that's the key between the two is the building management that even if the landlords want to achieve certain things they need to make sure that their building managers and if they've got say a surveying firm providing that service for them they really understand what the aim is otherwise you get this disconnect yeah that makes sense that makes complete sense um what would you um say your business superpower was oh uh so I'm not in charge of the firm. <laughs> <laughs> caveat. <laughs> Massive lawyer caveat, not in charge of the firm. Um, but I, and again, I think I suppose I'm relatively new to the firm, which I know sounds odd given I joined in 2014, but we have people staying a long time. Um, so I'm still kind of a relative newbie. But I think that helps me to say that in my view, the superpower is the transparency. Um, there is a genuine transparency throughout the firm that yes we have a management board yes we have people that are ultimately in charge and making decisions but everything is very clearly communicated and a huge amount of work has gone into always improving the communication and i think that has helped us weather this particular period of time um, incredibly well we've all stayed connected we all know what's going on there isn't any need for you know rumors around what's going to happen when we're all working through lockdown, very transparent. And I think that also embeds our values. So I think that's our superpower. I think it's transparency and values. Okay. And how would you say you engage um, with staff, suppliers, customers with your mission and purpose? I think um, the communication channels that I've mentioned are key. So um, on a really kind of, I suppose, basic level that we have the firm's intranet, which I know, you know most places have now, and that's always regularly updated. So with key, key things about what's going on in the firm, um, and everybody's very motivated about driving forward the values, and someone is always getting involved in various impact-driven initiatives. So that's kind of always publicized on the internet. Um, we often have you know, the usual things like newsletters, um, snapshots type things i think with in terms of our internal communication we try and keep things really snappy so that if there's something really you know exciting to report an exciting update that might be a quick email but also put it on the internet we've got screens in the kitchen you know when we're all together um, that can be used to publicize things um, and people we are open plans so everybody does talk about what's going on and that that kind of conversation is just flowing throughout the firm and then I think with clients and other contacts, we, we do rely a lot on the, the newsletters, the kind of email, mailing shops, LinkedIn, um, Twitter, all of those communication channels. And I think because it's so regular and because we really are in the impact space, we are just communicating this stuff all the time. Mm. 
So I actually need to get a lot better at LinkedIn. I need to engage with it a lot more. Um, but that's, yeah, those kind of channels are the way we, we tend to do it. I remember I first came across you guys years ago when we um, becoming a B Corp back in 2015. And I was worried about changing our M&A, Memorandum Association. I didn't know how to do it. And I spoke to someone in your firm and they basically said, it's really easy. This is what you do. We couldn't possibly charge you for that. <laughs> and they told us, I was like, oh, that's amazing. What a cool firm. That's brilliant. And it was actually really easy. <laughs> yeah, I think sure, on the B Corp um, status, it's interesting because I've had people say to me before, does it not change things for the worse in some, in some senses? You know, there's a lot of work involved and, and does it not change your whole business? And I think if your business is, is thinking of becoming a B Corp, then you're really already in that space and you're already doing things in that way. And it's a lot of work, but it's worth it. And I think it's really motivating when it happens. Um, but yeah, well, you're exactly right. We support people on their B Corp journey. And at the moment, we're doing quite a lot of work around the reassessment um, and helping support clients through that. Um, and as you said, you know, we don't charge a fortune, sometimes not at all. <laughs> <laughs> You were lucky there. <laughs> I think I was. I think I was. <laughs> um, when it comes to running an ethical and sustainable business, what would you what would you say your biggest struggles so far have been? And can you tell a bit tell us a bit about how you've overcome it? Yeah, I think um, so on the ethical side, I think there is a challenge in terms of our business is providing legal advice. You know, we're not marketing a product we're not manufacturing a product or marketing a project which product which you can say has a certain certification of this is ethical this is ethically sourced this is sustainable material so i think a challenge for us as a law firm is actually proving that we do live by these principles and i think the b corp status is fundamental to that because as you say you have to change um your governing documents to make sure that you do live by that i think the other side of it is sometimes you know in terms of the ethical status people could see a gray area that in in terms of you know what cases do you take on um which clients you might act for but we have really rigorous processes in our firm to make sure that we have an ethics committee you know if there's anything that we think won't live by our standards then we have to really rigorously assess it and in terms of sustainability I think um, on a really basic level, one of the biggest challenges to start with is making sure that people use less paper. Um, law firms are notorious for having huge amounts of paper, particularly in my department. Um, but we did a lot of work around becoming sustainable. And we've already, I think we reduced our carbon footprint by 50% in three years, um, with your help, I believe. <laughs> um, so we've done a lot of work around that, but I think there's a challenge in terms of making sure that people are willing to adapt their working practices. Um, there's also a challenge in sustainability of when you are part, part of a multi-tenanted building, which we are, that there are some difficulties about, you know, systems and processes that we might want something for our space, but actually for it to work effectively, you have to have it in the whole building, which involves a lot of work and a lot of conversation, but we've got an amazing facilities team. So they're always on the case. <laughs> <laughs> if you could offer one piece of advice to our listeners that can help them with their purpose what do you think that would be 
Um, I think be brave and have conviction in your purpose and kind of regularly take a step back and remind yourself about what you are trying to achieve and why you first went into it. Because I think it's easy to kind of lose your way um, sometimes when you get bogged down in the day-to-day -day work, whatever your, whatever your role is and whatever your business is. So I think it's, yeah, reminding yourself what you want to achieve and then being brave enough to keep saying it and keep reminding yourself and keep telling everyone about it. Um, otherwise, no one's going to know. When it comes to reducing your environmental impact and the carbon footprint of your business, what would you say your biggest challenge or frustration is? Um, I think getting everyone's buy-in. Um, and I think that's changed hugely. I think people are really on board. I think going open plan made a huge difference because you can just see how everybody's working and you know, it's weird to think, it almost feels like a lifetime ago when I'm talking about us being in the office, um, because it's been so long since we were there. But I think in the early stages of moving into the new office, and that was when we already had a lot of initiatives in our old space, but it was a very old building, and you couldn't really retrofit these things, and also our landlord was about to drop the building and redevelop, so you know, there's only so much you can do. But when we moved into the new space, and that's when we made a huge effort around green energy, um, changing the lighting and things, I think that that didn't require buy-in from people because that was dealt with, um, you know, at management level and, like I said, the facilities team working with the landlord of the building. But I think the more subtle things like recycling, that does require buy-in because if you've got bins around and people are in a hurry, then there is a risk they might just drop it in and, and off they go to the next meeting. So I think a, a lot more around the communication about why we were doing it and then what we'd achieved, that helped hugely. Um, also bins were taken away from people's desks. So everybody has to physically walk to one of the, the waste collection points and then everything is categorized. We have so many bins, um, but it's worthwhile and it's been properly communicated. And we now have a stat on the internet that regularly updates us on what we've managed to achieve and um, the fact that we're not sending things to landfill. So I think that's really motivating. But I think initially it's a bit of a challenge to get that amount of people to buy into it when everyone's very busy. Yeah, I think, I think it is. And I think having worked in, with law firms for numerous years now, I think that it's, it is, it's quite hard as well with um, possibly not our age and younger, but possibly older generation lawyers um changing the way of thinking is is difficult and um yeah it is quite hard <laughs> yeah i think it's about reminding people why why it's important um mm. and even if something might feel a little bit inconvenient to start with then it's not the end of the world i mean walking is good why don't you get up from your desk and walk to the next bin that's, that's something i found more challenging during lockdown, I don't have enough bins available to me to follow this through at home. <laughs> <laughs> the council doesn't provide it. <laughs> you need to, um, and it's also getting up, isn't it? You need to get one of those things that remind you to get up and um, go for a walk every now and again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, 
what sort of have you got any advice or learnings that you'd like to share with anyone listening to this podcast um in terms of particularly focusing on b corp status or being an impact anything really i think you as a partner in a very forward-thinking socially purpose-driven law firm in the uk you know what if if i was a if i was a lawyer or worked in a law firm in the uk or wider we've got um, our audience goes around the world um you know what sort of have you got any advice to people to what to start to do or to look for or to um push forward yeah i think it, um i mean obviously it depends on the size of the business as well and resources and things but i think there's no harm in starting small i would say that if an organization is looking at really embedding a certain way of operating um but they don't want to maybe take a step next step of changing their articles or um if they're not in a position resource wise to do lots of different initiatives in in their business then i think just always focus on the small things because inevitably that evolves into something that's bigger and i think even in you know businesses with one person you can remind yourself about your purpose and why you're doing what you're doing and make sure you communicate it i think communication is always the key and then i think as businesses grow always making sure that your people are on board that you're bringing them along the journey and listening to their views mm. um i don't think that it can be a kind of dictated mandate almost if this is the way we're doing it, it has to be genuine mm. if you are an impact driven business then that has to be genuine it has to be authentic and it has to be carried through your people and everything they do um so yeah i think that's i think that's probably my takeaway piece of advice so yeah the the other thing i was thinking of is the fact that because we're an alternative business structure we don't have um only lawyers working in the firm we have it's not a traditional law firm structure of partners solicitors and then support staff where an abs which enables to have other advisors in the firm so historically we've had people focusing on compliance we to help clients we're setting up financial businesses financial services we've had impact driven specialists and within our firm now we have impact professionals um so they're not they're not actually part of the legal teams but they help us in making sure that we understand the sector that we're working in and they also provide a different kind of service to our clients um including the support with the b corp reassessment oh i see so um oh, name drop um people like junction um adam garfunkel from junction and people that, people that help companies become more um down the b corp journey you have them in house is that what you're saying yeah sort of yeah so i mean some of them are former lawyers so they have that okay. they have that really helpful background of also they know how we think and they know therefore how to communicate things to us every time something changes mm. um but they're just they're really invaluable um to work with because it i guess it comes back to when you're saying do we advise impact driven businesses differently um i think having impact professionals and people who are really embedded in the sector um more than probably lawyers will ever be in the sense of you know you've got so much going on and advising lots of different clients um i think having impact professionals with us means that we really stay on top of everything yeah i think i think one of the reasons why i thought of um 
that was when we were looking at getting our contracts or we had our contracts redrawn. One of the conversations I had with, um, with Katie, um, I can't remember the lady's name, sorry, um, that um, helped us. She said that interestingly, the more purpose-driven businesses you purpose-driven business you are the more accountable you are mm. so it kind of goes completely the opposite way that you think so a company that actually doesn't care about their staff treats them really badly and then treats them really badly is very much more likely to get away with it someone that doesn't treat staff really badly and does it a tiny bit wrong and not really badly at all and actually probably really good on the lower um, side of things will still get into a lot of trouble and could actually be held accountable to because you're held on a pedestal um, as opposed to not. Yeah. And I think um, accountability is so important because if you really want to run your business in this way, then, then you should be held accountable. Mm. Um, but it does, it does mean you have to make difficult choices sometimes and you have to really think about what type of, work you're doing and the sort of initiatives that you're getting involved with um and i guess part of i mean part of the accountability for us is something like the legal sustainability alliance so we're actually a part of the reporting and we can just put ourselves out there and you know if someone's logging onto our website and saying oh they're a b corp and they're living by their values and they're um they have all this synergy with their clients if they want to you know it's like you know if someone wanted to do digging and say do they really mean this do they then then we have all of the evidence there that yes, we are doing this every single day. And I think that's, we have, we have not only proof of that, but we want to be held accountable and this is the way we want to do business. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? We're, um, we're seeing that in our business now with conversations that we're having with people about say carbon offsetting and stuff. Um, we, uh, I think difficult decisions are going to start to happen more and more in sustainability and i'm seeing it in um so the previous meeting was with an industry and i've had this conversation a few times now of it's great that you guys want to be more sustainable but we've got to deal with the elephant in the room the elephant is you need to change so significantly that you're not going to recognize your business in 10 years time and if you're willing to do that that's where you'll do well. And if you're not willing to do it, then you might as well just carry on as business as usual because really all you are is greenwashing. Mm. Your sentiments are right and you're going at it from the right values and you're not doing it for the wrong reasons. But there's kind of no point doing it if not wholeheartedly and doing it properly. Yeah, and I wonder if... Um you know, the world is apparently starting to move forward again, having been in lockdown. And um, when people talk about building back better, I think, well, maybe people have had the chance to reflect about their businesses and where they live their lives, but, you know, crucially also the way they do business. And perhaps now is the chance that we've seen all these reports with, you know, effectively people on pause. Um, the fact that the environment's had a chance to recover, all these amazing videos I've seen online about, you know, nature making a, an appearance into urban environments. Maybe people will think about it and go, actually, 
I can probably change the way I do things. And I just find it really scary, actually, that just before we went into lockdown, we were having a huge amount of information about climate change. And I, other than the fact that there's some, you know, really positive signs in the environment as a result of lockdown, other than those stories, I haven't heard anything about climate change since February. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd have to seek it out. I'm sure I could seek out articles, but whereas they were coming across, I was going to say my desk, but my computer screen the whole time, um, and everybody was talking about it, and there were loads of documentaries, they just don't really seem to be there. And I just hope that actually that resurrects itself and people really take it seriously. Yeah. Yeah, it will be, in it will be really interesting to see what happens on the back of it. But then we're talking to a group of companies about setting 2020 as a baseline year. And um, granted, you cannot, not all companies can set it as a baseline year. So if you are a manufacturing, you can't. It's, it's an impossibility. But you could potentially set it if you were to normalise it in such a way that, um, you know, through turnover or through amounts of um, products that you've produced. And so you could potentially do it that. It's, a, it's obviously a lot easier to do it as a service-based industry, which both of us are in service-based um, companies and um because in reality we do need to set 2020 as a baseline year in order to get to 2030 yeah um, and beyond but it's it's the picture is just so it's just so it's not black and white it's driven by clients and clients have to stand up for the same values as the people that are pitching for the work and that you know the the clients have to go right you do not fly to us if you fly to us, you will be penalised. We because they know that if they fly, they'll have a better rapport because they'll go out for dinner and get to know each other, and then more likely to win the work. So you almost have to put everyone on the back foot, and we all have to work together. And then businesses have to work together to make sure they're all on a, on a level playing field. And it's it's going to be really hard, and it's going to be really messy, and it's going to be really tricky, and it's not going to be easy. No, it's that accountability again I think and being willing to make changes as you said and and there's lots of brilliant initiatives out there that you can sign up to and it helps you make those changes we've um, signed up to something that actually impacts on our annual leave policy so people get more annual leave if they uh, are traveling on holiday um, by train mm. and they're not using the plane so they get basically some extra holiday to take account of the fact that it's going to take longer mm. And, and people are signing up for it, which is great news. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. I can't remember what it's called. Um, I know Whole Grain Digital. Um, the Guardian wrote a piece about it and used Whole Grain Digital as a, um, as a company that was doing it. If you know those guys, another B Corp. I probably should know them. <laughs> um. <laughs> Husband and wife team have done really well. I don't think it was them. I don't think it's them that we're that we've got it through. Um, oh yeah, no, we, they 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 are doing the same thing. As oh, you. they're doing okay. Yeah, yeah, they're doing it. Um, so I, I suspect we've had conversations with them as a firm then about making sure we do those things. But I, I think that accountability is really important. I think the B Corp movement is really interesting around that though because. I think what's brilliant about it is when you are working with, and if you're a B Corp and you're working with another B Corp, it takes that pressure off of worrying about whether or not you have that synergy because you already know you do. You already know that you've 
you each have to go through the same assessment criteria mm. and make these changes to your governance documents. So you have that, that automatic accountability, right? Okay, we're on a level playing field here. Yeah. And, and actually, and, and mistakes happen in business. We've just joined forces with another B Corp. And I didn't realize that education doesn't have VAT. Mm. And this company yeah. didn't realize that they didn't take, put VAT on their invoices. So the whole thing went completely wrong when <laughs> we submitted an invoice and they were literally like, we're going to lose money on this. How, how did that happen? And then they looked at, the, and they went, we don't charge VAT. And I went, we do. We can't not. And they were like, oh, no. And we completely slashed the prices and we worked together on it. And, but it was really, really easy. The minute it was very much like, oh, education doesn't have VAT. Okay, fine. What can we do about it? Okay, we'll do this, this and this. And no one was annoyed no, and no one, no one walked away feeling um, as if they'd been hard done by. And mm. that is it's such a healthy way to do business because we'll definitely carry on working. I don't care if they made that mistake. It's, you know, it's not, it's not in the world. But it happens. It happens and you have to, have to, you know. Yeah. And coming back to why you're going into it in the first place. I mean, I've always said that as a transactional lawyer, I have that. I, I mean, I love the practice area I'm in because I like to problem solve. I like to kind of look at everything as almost like a jigsaw puzzle, fit it all together. And so for my work, it means that in theory, everybody is coming to the situation wanting to go ahead. I'm not trying to unravel a problem. I'm actually trying to, they've already agreed they want this to happen and then I'll, I'll make it happen. And yeah, there's inevitably bumps along the way, but, but you get there because you can always take a step back and say, hang on a moment, is this issue that's arisen a deal breaker? Or do you want to go back to originally, why did you go into this deal in the first place? Mm. Um, and I guess it's the same kind of thing with your situation that you will remember why you were doing it in the first place and go, okay, well, we'll find a way around it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think um, it's that transparency and accountability. Thanks, Carly. Um, thank you so much for being on today. It's been really interesting listening to um, your thoughts around um, Bateswells and um, yeah, working in a law firm within, a, within such a forward thinking law firm as well. Um, thank you very much. Thank you. Today, we've got Carly from Bateswells on the podcast. Um, Carly is actually an advisory board member for Compare Your Footprints, um, our carbon reporting software, and a partner um, at Bateswells. They are a really, really cool company. We, I mean, we came across them because we're a B Corp, and so they, and so you'll hear um, us talk about that and um, the difference it makes to be a social purpose-driven law firm and the advice that they give. It's a um, fascinating conversation and I really hope you enjoy it as much as I did.